It's, um, it's good to be up here in front of you guys again. Well, I say it's good to be up in front of you, but I get terrified each time I have to stand up in front of you, even though you're very nice people. Um, it's been a very different preparation week for me. Uh, I had the, the privilege of uh, releasing my wife to go to Greece whilst I looked after two fantastic boys. We've had so much fun this week. And it's, it's a little bit, you don't want to overplay how much fun you had when your wife and your daughter go away because you don't want to make it out as if it's better that they're gone than they're, they're here. <laughs> but as boys, we had an amazing time. We spent probably half of it out in the forest somewhere. Uh, boys with knives is always like, it was safe, it was safe. Um, <laughs> There was no, no lost limbs and uh, hardly any blood shed. Um, but there was lots of fun and enjoyment. Um, and so this actually, uh, it puts you in a different mindset when you want to prepare a speech or a talk, and, and especially when it's about um, leading up to uh, Easter week. And so I haven't actually had as much time to prepare this, but that's okay because I think when you don't, when you don't overplay something in, in sports, when you don't overplay it, when you don't overthink it, you can be more natural in being able to take that golf shot. A lot of times in sports, people freeze up when they overthink the moment. And so I'm here and I'm like, okay, God, I've, I've definitely not overthought this moment. Uh, So can you come now (laughs) and make it as natural as possible? So we're going to look, we're still in Mark, we're going to look at the story, and I'm just going to tell, I'm not going to give a traditional Palm Sunday message, I'm actually going to look just before that entry into Jerusalem that Jesus had. So we're going to just take a little bit of the walk from where he went from um, Bethsaida, Bethsaida, sorry, Bethsaida, all the way back down to Jerusalem, and it's a, probably about 140, 150 miles uh, journey that Jesus and the disciples took. And we're just going to look through that. I'm going to jump through um, eight, chapters 8, 9, and 10, and then I'm going to pull it together in something that's going to be of value to us all. I pray. So we'll start in 8.22. And they came to Bethsaida, and some people brought to him that's to Jesus, a blind man, and begged him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hand on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And he sent him to his home, saying, Do not even enter the village. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say, Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one. About him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed 
and after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me in my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, when he come, uh, generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it is coming with power. They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. Sorry, I've jumped to 9, verse 33 now. Chapter 9, verse 33. And they were in Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put, him on, and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. And we're just going to jump to 10, verse 32. And they were on the road going to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them, and they were amazed, and those who were following, uh, and those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him. And kill him. And after three days he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one on your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. And Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink, or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup I drink, you will drink, and with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. 
And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. And for, e- for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with, the, with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, son of Timus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprung up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. The Gospel of Mark is is an amazing gospel of story of action-packed. He's just constantly moving Jesus. But this probably would have taken him two and a half, maybe three weeks to do this journey that we just read through. And the way that Mark lays out his gospel is, is a beautiful way of describing what Jesus has actually come here to do. You see, Jesus here is determined, and it says that he has set his, heart, his face towards Jerusalem. And, and in fact, in the, I think it's in Luke, it actually says that the Samaritans wouldn't even let him pass through their land because his face was set on Jerusalem. They said, no, no, you can't come through here. And he had to actually take a detour around Samaria because of that reason. And in Isaiah, it actually says that his, his face was set like flint. There's this solid determination that he was set to go towards Jerusalem. And here we have this story of him telling them, three times he tells them that he's going to die. Three times he tells them they're going to die. And did, you, and did you read, or did you hear, after each time he told them he was going to die, the response of the disciples? Each time it was a selfish, self-centered, self-determined response. Each time. But the way Mark structures his gospel is even more, I find, astounding. Is because he starts off this series with a blind man and he ends it with a blind man. He starts it off with a blind man. Then we have this amazing story of, I mean, probably one of the most critical verses in scripture is when Peter confesses Jesus as a Christ and we almost see that as the signal for Jesus to head back towards Jerusalem but it's it's not this part that I think that is most amazing I think it's the story just before it 
of the blind man. And I want to just, I don't have much time, but I want to just tell you one thing about blindness. When you're blind, you can't see. It's astounding, isn't it? I mean, you're like, whoa, that's mind-blowing. The importance of this is these people, physically blind, could not lead themselves where they needed to go. There is only one man in all of history who could see the way he must go. And even when he's telling the disciples the way he must go, still they were blinded and could not see what must be seen. And I want to just take this one, one nugget for you to hold on today. Just one. These two blind men, one didn't come himself. One was brought. And do you notice what Jesus did? See, in that day and age, physical disabilities made you an outcast from society. And this man, Jesus, leads by the hand out of the village, out of society. He is, in essence, symbolizing how alone this man probably felt. And in that moment, in that personal moment, Jesus spits on his eyes. I don't know why he did that. But he spits on his eyes and touches his eyes and he, he starts to see a bit. And you see, this is a four, like this story here kind of is showing you the very confession Peter makes. He's kind of seeing the Christ. But the Christ he's seeing is this Christ that will come in triumphant victory over the Romans. And we see that even like Jesus tells them that he's going to die. And what did James and John do? Well, if you're going to die, we'll get our request in now early about who becomes your number two. The first man that was restored his sight is, is, a, is a picture of how the disciples were being led by Jesus. They could see partly, they could see what looked like people, but more like trees walking around. They could not comprehend that the Messiah must die. And it was the second touch that restored his sight. And it says that he opened his eyes and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Do you know, it, it's not the first encounter with Christ that may be the one that revolutionized your, your, your life. Do you know, for some people, it is a progression of being touched by Christ before they can clearly see the risen Savior. And in here, we've, we've, in these three moments, when Jesus says he's going to die, first of all, Peter comes up and says, it's not going to be this way, Jesus. And Jesus rebukes him, not Peter personally, but Peter's thoughts. Peter, you're thinking wrong. You don't see it. This is not how the Messiah 
will save the world. And then we come to the next one. And straight away they're arguing about who will be the greatest. Jesus just told them he's got to suffer and he's got to die and he's got to be raised again on the third day. And the very first thing is they want to know who will be the greatest. And I want to tell you this. These three times and these three selfish responses points to one thing clearly. Self-centeredness, self-determinism blinds you to who Christ is. If you are self-centered, you will not see Jesus as Savior and Lord. You cannot. And here we have this blind man to start with, and Jesus tells him, don't even go back to the village. You don't even need to go back to the village. Just go. You can go home now. You're free. You don't need anyone to beg You don't need to have someone lead you now. You can see clearly you can go straight to your home. And then we come to this second blind man, Bartimaeus. And do you wonder why the first guy didn't have his name mentioned and the second guy did? Does that not... Like in my mind, I'm like... Why mention one blind guy's name and even mention his father? But the other one, he, he never even gets a, a name. Do you know there is a difference between the healing of restored sight and seeing who Christ is that leads to someone who follows Jesus and yet some people can see Jesus and have their eyes restored and not follow him fully. And here we have Bartimus. Now, do you know what the thing about Bartimus is? The first blind man was brought by friends. Bartimus is here in the midst of the crowd and he's crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And what does the crowd do? Shh, quiet, quiet. He's disturbing him. And do you know how fickle the crowd is? Because as soon as Jesus says, yeah, call him to me, they go, oh, yeah, no, go, go, yeah. Come on. It's good. They're encouraging him to go, but just a moment before, they're telling him to shut up. See, we cannot look to man to direct us. Because if we did, if if Bartimaeus looked to man to direct him in this moment, he would not have continued to call out to Christ. See, man cannot help us see. They cannot. And here Bartimus, crying out, and he comes to him. Do you know the difference between how Jesus responded to Bartimus and how he responded to James and John? See, James and John came to him saying, we ask that you would do something for us. We've got a question. Do whatever we ask, Jesus. And Jesus says, ask your question and I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what I'll do. See, with Barthamus, it's different. He's saying, have mercy. I throw myself at your feet. You are the only one who can save me. You are the only one who can give me sight. And what does Jesus do? He's the one who asks the questions. What do you want me to do for you? What does Barthamus say? That I may see. 
And do you know what? Barthamus didn't know what he was asking. Do you know, he, he thought he was asking, I just want my physical sight back so I don't have to be an outcast, so I don't have to be a beggar, so I, so I can actually see for myself where I go each day. And do you know when Jesus, in this moment, it was not his sight that was the most important being restored. Do you know that his life was being restored? Do you know that his spiritual eyes were in that moment he could see? What was his response out of that? Jesus said to him, like he did to the first blind man, go your way, you're healed. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight. And what did he do? He followed him on away. Bartimaeus, who'd spent his whole life begging just outside Jericho, had now been restored not just his sight, but he could actually see the Saviour, and he was that's it. That is why I see. I see so that I may follow the Christ. So I want to say this to you today. Whether you're outcast, whether you're outside of society, whether you're on the fringe, whether you're being told to shut up and mind your own business, whether you're being told that it's not your time or it's not for you, whether people are encouraging you or not, if you would come to Jesus as you are, he will give you the sight that you may see him in his glory. And I tell you what, I'd rather be outside the village, I'd rather be mocked in the crowd, I'd rather be told to shut up than not to see my Saviour. And this is the place we need to get to. Jesus' journey all the way from Caesarea, Caesarea Philippi through Jericho to Jerusalem, he was telling his disciples one thing. See me as I am. And this is my prayer, is that when we see Jesus as he is, we will see the works he does, because whether we see his, working, his work or not, he is at work. And when we see him at work, our hearts will grip and become excited and we will leave all that we have known and we will follow him no matter the cost.